Would you like to find out how to align your life with God's best? I'm Lisa Pulliam, founder of more to be and host of this podcast. And I believe the more we seek God and study His Word, the more He'll transform us to become like Jesus and equip us to impact this world with kingdom hope. That's what a life aligned with His best looks like, and that's our mission at more to be to become more like Jesus. This episode is sponsored by our more to be sisterhood. You can join the sisterhood at moretobe.com slash podcast and get access to a library of Bible study content and biblically-based coaching resources that will help you align your life with God's best. On this episode, we are joined by Katie McCowan. She is president of She Laughs Ministries, a writer for Proverbs 31 Ministries and a national speaker. Through all of life's uncertainties and surprises, Katie has learned some things about living sure even when the future is not. She and her husband, Luke, a former NFL quarterback, are raising six children. She is the author of She Smiles Without Fear, in which Katie uses the Proverbs 31 woman as a guide for discovering how to find security in God's plans and confidence in his control. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. So glad to have you here with us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I love what you're doing at More To Be when you were uh, talking about it, I just find myself nodding along. I love, um, I love what women can can get from this ministry. So I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. It's been a more to be. It's been an evolution. We started uh, with a focus on teenage girls and mentoring, and then I became a life coach, and then I landed a book contract, kind of out of the blue. And they're like, "You should write for women, and and you should go in this direction." And so then that kind of led from one thing into another where now more to be is about serving women Mm -hmm. uh, and and helping them get their lives aligned which tell us about you how did your ministry evolve I love the name of your conference well thank you and and I think it's so funny how you think you're doing one thing and then God has this (laughs) this plan that you never knew about you just take one step at a time with him right and so Mm. I was a journalism major in college, so I had this background of writing and speaking Mm -hmm. in a kind of professional sense, and then I married my college sweetheart, Luke McCowan, and we did what I like to say is set off on our adventure in the National Football League, and um, we thought... We, we had an idea of, of what our life was going to look like. And we soon, very soon found out mm. it was not going to look anything like that. So we moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where he spent his rookie year with the Cleveland Browns, just Luke and me and our dog. And by the end of that rookie season, we were pregnant with our first child and we found out that he was going to be traded. So we ended up spending one, not even one full year in Cleveland. And that was really the marker for kind of the rest of his career. He spent 13 years in the NFL and we moved at least a dozen times in that oh. 13 years. And all the while having children. <laughs> and so I did the math and we had one child out of our six. We have six children. We had one where we lived in the same place the year before the birth of the child and the year after every other birth that we had, we moved within three to six months, either prior to or following their birth. So it was just a whirlwind. And, you know, I loved to write. And when we were having our first few children, I would write a little column that would run in the hometown newspaper where Mm -hmm. Luke grew up. So just kind of continuing to do what I felt like God had given me a talent to do and and something that I enjoyed. And then we just keep 
we just kept having kids. Yeah. And so I didn't have time for that anymore. <laughs> so after about the third child, I stopped writing. And, and I will tell you that I did feel like there was a future in writing. Uh, I, at the time, I felt like I was going to write a book. I felt like God had kind of revealed that to me, but I really didn't have anything beyond that. Mm -hmm. And when we had our fifth child, we were with the Atlanta Falcons that season. And I went to a Bible study with the players, wives, and girlfriends. And in that Bible study, I learned about Proverbs 31 ministries. And I learned about a conference that they did called the She Speaks Conference for Christian authors and speakers. And the following year, I went to the conference. And that was really just the first step. I, I went to the conference. I joined an online community that they had just begun that year and started thinking about writing. I was at that time, by that time, I was pregnant with our sixth child. My husband was in training camp, which means he was gone for several weeks. And I, you know, you get the, I got the feeling maybe I should start a blog. And I knew how absolutely crazy. I mean, what terrible timing. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of kept waiting on someone to agree with me that it was a terrible time. And I, and I told Luke, Hey, I think, I think God might be saying start a blog. How silly is that? And Luke was like, you should do it. And I was like, everyone's gone crazy, but I did go ahead and do it. And, and, you know, it was one of those things you do it, you get to it when you get mm -hmm. to it. So just one little step like that. And then I became a volunteer editor for the devotions that Proverbs 31 does. They had put out this kind of, Hey, if anyone has experience and you're interested in being a volunteer editor, well, that was kind of something I loved to do. It was like wow. putting together a puzzle for me. I just loved editing. So I did that. And then as a volunteer editor, that actually opened the door to become a writer for the devotions. And so I wrote for Proverbs 31 devotions for several years. And the more I wrote, the, uh, I began to feel God, God calling me to use my writing to teach the Bible. And so from there, I transitioned to the first five app, the Proverbs 31 mm -hmm. app that um, teaches through the Bible. We, we just finished going through the entire Bible. And so I spent years uh, teaching the Bible through writing on the, the Proverbs 31 first five app. And along the way, this Bible study, She Smiles Without Fear, that published January 1st, was just developing. I would say through all of those years, as God was developing mm. his call on my life as a writer, he was um, teaching me so much about fear and anxiety, fear of the future specifically. And as he was teaching me that he was just putting it all together. That is amazing. What a great journey of like you, you started, you said, you know, we have our plans, but God opens different doors often uh, and through, through challenges. I'm sure it wasn't easy to move every year. Oh no, it wasn't. We became really, there were, I'm telling you, I have a, I had a moment when we, cause a lot of times, and this is the even crazier part, we would find out, I mean, there was, and this is kind of the, the marker for when everything changed, how we moved, because we found out on Saturday night, about 8 PM, we had already put the kids to bed that we were moving and they wanted Luke there the following morning by about 8 AM. Wow. And so we had three little kids at the time and we had a whole life to move. And after that, we changed, lived. So I started bringing with us. So if we had a family of eight, by the, by the end of Luke's career, we had eight plates and eight bowls 
and mm-hmm. eight spoons. And we just didn't bring extra. We didn't bring bed frames because that was just one more thing to put up and take. So we had mattresses mm-hmm. on the floor. We didn't bring nightstands because our kids didn't need a nightstand, you know, yeah. and we, we brought maybe five or six pairs of shorts and we did laundry. And so we just learned. And, and by the last move, when we moved out the last time, we started packing at, you know, 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning and we were done by lunchtime. The entire house was packed up in, in about four hours. That's now we did have help from a sweet church family, but we, I always said I became an expert packer and a really terrible unpacker. So I would live out of a suitcase for weeks. <laughs> so interesting. So we, um, this, it, I'm listening through this lens. We lived at a boarding school for 18 years and at a boarding school, uh, we moved in those 18 years, we moved seven times. Mm-hmm. So we were either having a baby because we have four kids. We were either having a baby moving or somebody in the family was having surgery every single year for 18 years. Oh my goodness. It's just the way it played out. Right. And so it's interesting because, you know, we didn't ever have to, until we left the boarding school six years ago, we didn't have to deal with the new church, new, new doctors, new of every, you know, there's decision fatigue that comes with that. But in terms of like getting really in touch with how you feel about earthly possessions. (laughs) And for us, it's interesting. You described how you became like a minimalist from that. I became a a bit of a like hoarder because it was, um, you know, we call it the grave of end tables that we just got rid of. (laughs) Uh, And literally- if it took us five years. I was like, if we haven't used these end tables or moved in five years, we need to send them on. But every house had different nooks and crannies and different needs. So if it didn't work in the house, it went to the attic or the basement because what if, what if, and there's like this um, scarcity mentality that you get caught up in when your life is always changing and they're un- it's unpredictable. Yes. And I, so it's funny that you say that because the motto that I began to use was instead of what do I need, I would say, what don't I need now in the difference probably is that I, a lot of times I was moving without Luke because he had to go be, he had to start work immediately. And so he was really unavailable. So, uh, you know, you also mentioned finding a new church and that is, I found that to be one of the most difficult parts of moving because church, we were, we didn't live around family and our church, we would get to a city. We would uh, become involved in a church and that would really become like our family. And multiple times they were the ones who showed up at my house. I mean, I have these memories of a storm in Florida and 10 or 15 people from my small group at our church showing up at my doorstep Mm. to, to pack, help me pack our house. And so then you go to this new place and you have that standard and it, you don't just step right in most of the time no. and boom, you have that, that family, that church yeah. family. So it was always one of the hardest things to do, but so necessary. Mm. And, and when I was young, a young mother, we had, I think we had two kids at the time. And again, Luke playing in the NFL, he played on Sundays. So Sunday was a work day. And I remember feeling God, uh, I felt like he made it very clear to me that home game, away game, in season, out of season, that church needed to remain a priority because Mm. if 
I did not allow continue to keep church as a priority, then our children would grow up believing that football was a, a bigger priority than church. And, and so we did it every Sunday and we would move and we would visit churches, me and the kids without Luke. And, and obviously we wouldn't join a church until he had the opportunity to come visit with us. And it was difficult, but it was so worth it. Mm. And looking back on all of the years, it, it created just a, an expectation in our lives and our children's lives. And that, you know, whether it was hard, whether it was easy, whether it was natural, whether it felt uncomfortable, we were going to get up and go worship with, um, with, with our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we knew them or not. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, um, but yes, it was just so funny. I started saying, do we need that? No, we don't need that. And like you said, you start to go, I mean, we would have boxes that we just, I told you I was a terrible yeah. unpacker. We would have boxes. I never unpacked. Yep. Me and I would too. be like, well, I guess we don't need that because yes. I never unpacked it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and it's, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing to not, I got really, really good at unpacking. You said you were terrible unpacking because there was this sense of, I don't know how long we're going to be here. I would unpack every single box within two weeks of what we needed. And then over the next year would be the, where do things actually go? And the constant rearranging to try to find a sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. So even to this day, like if, if the family can't find something, they'll be like, mom, where's such and such? I was like, well, go upstairs to the bathroom, top shelf, left side. Like I have memorized where things are because I'm the only one that knows because I'm the one that ultimately picks its final destination point. Wow. I think the two of us combined would have been great at this. <laughs> oh, fantastic. We would have been a great pair. And, yeah. and at this point, I don't know about you, but I never want to move again. I'm so okay with never moving again. I am. Yes, I am. Yes. Yes. There is something about putting down roots and yet, you know, you're touching on something about community that I really respect in what you're saying. Like you, it it sounds like you approached a really traumatic experience in all that change, unpredictability, but you were uncompromising about community. And, and uncompromising about where is my brother and sister in Christ because I need to show up and be there with them. It's not about how I feel. It's about obedience. Am I hearing you right on this? You are. And I think that you nailed it when you said it's about obedience because I didn't feel like it. And I can go back and tell you, and honestly, interestingly enough, uh, the, the Bible study that I told you where I even found out about Proverbs 31 and it was kind of the open door for, for ministry from there, I didn't want to go. And I had, we were actually unpacking our U-Haul on that day. And I had already decided I'm not doing it. I'm not, I was just spent. And it was another move that we were doing without Luke. And I had five kids and two dogs and it was just so much. And I had made up my mind, I'm not doing it. And that day that we were unpacking the U-Haul, the, the team had a chaplain and the chaplain's wife who was leading the study showed up at my house with the Bible study book and said, we're meeting next door tomorrow. <laughs> and oh. I was like, wow, I have no excuse. But I just, I, there were absolutely times that I didn't feel like it. And that was our kind of small group example. But yes, church on Sunday mornings by yourself with five or six little ones. But 
sometimes we have to choose to do what God has made clear to us mm -hmm. is obedient to him. And then our feelings follow. And that yeah. was something that I found that if I chose it because I believed that this is what God says, and there's nothing better than obedience to him, mm -hmm. that my feelings did follow. Sometimes it just took a little bit longer than others. And might I add, I am not a morning person. Church uh -huh. in the morning with all of the kids alone. <laughs> that was just the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm so glad uh, because he knows what's good for us, right? And our flesh mm -hmm. doesn't always agree. But if we'll die to the flesh and live by the Spirit, we'll reap the benefits and the rewards mm -hmm. that we can only reap in obedience. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think it's relevant in this COVID season, very much so, because there's this interesting dynamic of we no longer have to go to church. I don't know what it's like for you down in Texas, but in Pennsylvania, most of the area churches are not gathering in person mm -hmm. at the time of recording this. And um, our church has just been able to secure a place where they can meet in person. And, and we have this family dynamic. So there's the four of us, uh, there's the four children, which actually is now kind of technically five. So my oldest is engaged. Wow. So, so, you know, Brandon comes and spends the night before and we do church together on Sunday as, as a family with him, a part of it. And our Sundays are so dang lovely. Everybody sleeps in. I fix a big breakfast. We sit around the table. We talk. Then we watch church. And then the afternoon is football because my family is a huge football fan. Yeah. So, you know, Sundays are organized around afternoon football. Uh, and so to get up, get dressed, go to church, there is this tension between the fellowship with the greater community of Christ and the fellowship, the sweet fellowship that my family's experienced as a small little community. And, and I, you know, I've been struggling with what do I push here? Mm -hmm. I think that, and we've done the same thing. So we, we can meet together. Mm -hmm. However, we are, our church is also doing a live stream. Yeah. So we really have both options. And as a family, we've done both. We have had the mornings where we've stayed home and we've gathered, we've all, you know, gathered up together in a room around the computer. And it, I agree, Lisa, it's mm -hmm. sweet. It's such, it's a little bit of a slower pace. I think yes. sometimes church feels like go, go, go. And it's just another thing we're doing and get up and go. And, and I honestly think that we can go to church in person and completely miss the community, yeah. completely miss the, the blessing of corporate worship. And so I think sometimes that's where the tension is because it's not even like we're actually engaging in worshiping no. together. We're just there and we're, we're thinking about what we're going to do when we leave sometimes. Yeah. And so the slower pace is a blessing yeah. and we almost absorb it even more because we've slowed down and we're fully present and so I think there are blessings to both. I will tell you that one thing, because I, I, we have done both and we did not worship uh, together for a time. We, we only did live stream for a time yeah. um, or we did like a drive-in, you know, where we were all honking mm -hmm. at each other in the parking lot. <laughs> and uh, so that was fun. <laughs> but one thing that I have found as we had the opportunity to go back 
is the blessing of different perspectives. Mm. Because in my home, we, we, we live the same life. I mean, granted, we're not all the same age. I don't go to high school with my son. So yes, there are, there are differences in our daily rhythms, but we tend to see life from the same perspective yep. because of we, we've all lived in this home together for all of these years. And so the blessing of being together with, you know, people who are older than me and people who are younger than me and people who are different races than me mm-hmm. and people who grew up in different places than me mm-hmm. and it is really something that I feel like it's one of the ways we grow together. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about the spiritual giftings of each one of us and how we were the body of Christ. And not that we have to meet together for a certain amount of time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, every, every Sunday to be that, but it's a blessing. Yeah. And I, I learn from those people and and I love to raise my voice together with them. And yeah. so I totally agree with you, Lisa. I see what you're seeing, which is, well, we really don't need that. And the other thing I would say is with the, the continued challenge of yeah. gathering in larger groups, I think one great way to stay engaged as a larger body of Christ is to get and stay engaged in a small group. Yeah. That's something that... and like on the computer, do a four person zoom call once a week. And if you, or if you are a group of people that feels comfortable meeting in someone's driveway, you know, and socially distancing in the driveway, I think right now, a really great move would be to commit to meet in a small group. And I don't mean a group of 10 or 15, a group of four, yeah, three or four and commit to meet in a small group. And I think what will strengthen us as a larger group is mm-hmm. if through the challenges that we're facing right now, if we will keep meeting together in small groups and then on the day that it becomes available consistently to yeah. meet together in a large group, we will we'll be more excited for it because yeah. then we'll get to take our small group and join it together with all of the other small groups and just have a big party. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And, and there's such a a challenge. I've talked to a number of people in the last couple of weeks who they, one person I'm thinking about in particular, she is a part of a vibrant small group, but the gals don't want to meet over zoom. They say they have zoom fatigue, so they're not meeting at all. And she's left struggling because she's craving that connection And the people she's supposed to be connected with are resisting. So is she supposed to find somebody else to connect with or does she just wait? Like there are so many different dynamics. And I I would say for our listeners, like we probably have one person representing every single aspect of it from longing to not longing from connected to not connected. And I would say, you know, take this time to really just hit pause on us for a moment and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And in, in the equine therapy language, so I, I, I work with horses and trauma and that sort of thing. In the equine therapy language, we look at the window of tolerance. So it, you know, put your two hands up <laughs> and the left is like, to the one extreme and the right is to the other extreme and balance is somewhere in the center. So we don't want to go off the cliff, right. right, In our uncomfortableness, but we want to move the needle a little bit. 
So, so how can you move out of your comfort zone, take a step of risk to grow right. in relationship with other people without, you know, making yourself like run for the hills and fear or feel defensive or aggressive? Like what is one little step you can take outside of your comfort zone to pursue connection? And, you know, I think that's, to me, that's why the small group, when I say small, yeah. I mean small, small. because I, we've run into the same thing. So my husband and I lead a small group at our church and within, I mean, that's probably a small group of, I mean, I'm just going to ballpark 20, you know, give or take. And we have the ones with the zoom fatigue and they are not getting on a zoom. They're not doing it. They're not mm-hmm. getting on a zoom call. And then we have the others in the group who that's really all that they are comfortable doing. And it's actually very convenient for them. And they are longing for the Zoom meeting once a week on a Sunday night or something. And so I think a lot of times when you try to get even a group of 10 or 20, you're going to run, but if you can even make that smaller right now to three or four, maybe five, that's when you'll find a few more people. So if you're someone who you really are longing for the connection, but you're more comfortable virtual, you can probably find two or three or four people who are in, who feel the same way you do. And then you all can do that. Or if you're someone who is not doing another Zoom call because you have had it, you can probably find two or three or four other people who mm-hmm. would say, I agree. What if we meet in the church parking lot and spread out our lawn chairs or yeah. in someone, what if we alternate driveways and we spread out our lawn chairs or something like that? And so it may mean rearranging your typical mm-hmm. small group format for a time. And it is challenging and it yeah. is going to require a little more creativity and it is going to re- require a little more perseverance but it is worth it. Um, we actually, Lisa, in the Bible study, and she smiles without fear. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about with the Proverbs 31 woman is that the very first, the introductory verse to her is Proverbs 31 10. And it says, depending on what translation you read, it's actually translated a lot of different ways. But um, a woman of noble character who mm-hmm. can find, she is worth far more than rubies. And so that phrase, a woman of noble character. That is what is translated in so many different ways. And the Hebrew, the original Hebrew word there that is translated in the version I just read, noble character, is most often in the Old Testament, is most often translated army. Wow. Military term. And so I, I was so excited about that. That was to me like a game changer. When, when I was studying about the Proverbs 31 woman. And so then you go into second Timothy and, and Paul writes to Timothy about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And when you consider that one of the first descriptive, and really there are, there are military, there's military language throughout Proverbs 31. It's very, it's, there's so much of it that you have to assume that the writer expected the reader or the hearer to catch the military overtones mm. because there are so many. And so what we do in the, it's actually in the last week of the Bible study is we look at her through the lens of being a good soldier of Jesus Christ, because mm. how can you not with all of the military overtones and there's a warrior there. And one of, so we kind of look at, 
I love that you brought up um, equine because one of the things we reference is the um, the circle uh, that that the horses run to. It's a training circle uh, to help them balance, and yeah. so it's really interesting that you use that That's example. That's so funny. And uh, but we we talk about it in light if we wanted to think of a spiritual training circle, mm. and so. So the Bible study is called She Smiles Without Fear. So the goal is to become women who smile without fear. But if we want to become women who smile without fear, we have to assume that we're that she didn't just wake up that way. You know, mm-hmm. boom, I'm a woman who smiles without fear. Or that we are going to go to bed one night and we're going to wake up the next day and be women who smile without fear. And that it really is a pattern a training pattern that, that we weave into our regular everyday lives that mm-hmm. leads us in the direction to become women who smile without fear. And I say all of that to say community is a point on the spiritual training circle. Absolutely. Because of, because it's what God's word says, not because it's my great idea. Uh, it's because God himself lives in community, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And he created us to live inside community. And in Hebrews, there's that verse that says, exhort one another daily yeah. so that you do not become hardened to sin. I mean, yep. this is vital. Yep. It is vital to our spiritual health. And it's, it's a vital piece in becoming a woman who smiles without fear it's not optional. No, it's not. I love, I love that the training circle was something that the horses did for balance. That's just because I can pull out so many metaphors right now and I, and, and, you know, humor me here for a second. So you, you also said, you know, the community. So if we're talking about horses for a second, my daughter is, you know, equestrian. And so she's been riding for a couple of years. I I've been riding since I was a kid. I have learned more in the last six months of watching her with the trainer she has now than I have learned in my entire life. So like if you look at person, uh, you know, jumping a course, you just think or doing dressage, you just think, well, how is that horse making that fancy move or how are they doing that? Or what's you just see a bobblehead of a human on top of a horse who must naturally know how to do their thing. But the reality is a horse is not naturally balanced, right? If they do not exercise their hind end and bend their head down, which lifts their belly, which puts them in the right form so that they can have power going over the jump. So they don't end up, you know, in, in injury. Like there's so much nuanced work that has to be done with the horse to get them to not lean into their shoulder, to get them to stay balanced. And the rider on top of the horse has to have equal amount of balance. An unbalanced rider makes it hard for a horse to do its job, but it takes the eye of a trainer to be able to see what's happening together between this horse and rider to help them tweak it. And I just think that that is such an example of us as women in community, men in community of like, we can go pick up our Bible, read it by ourselves, run our own race, but where are our blind spots in that? Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're with somebody else, we are learning from the ones who have gone ahead of us. I mean, you know, Titus too, right? Learning from the ones who have gone ahead of us, but also 
um, learning how to grow and develop in that spiritual discipline, that spiritual maturity that you don't even know what it takes to get there if you're not willing to get honest with each other in the process of going. That's right. And I think the, I, I just think you nailed it when you talked about the blind spots. We don't know what we don't see. Mm-mm. And sometimes we learn that from each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, as I researched this training circle that I reference in the Bible study, one of the things that they said was the jumps, some of these jumps that you were just referring to are actually a young horse can do that before they can run in a circle. Because of that natural bent, they don't want to lean one way. They Mm -hmm. only want to lean the other way. So they can even perform these Mm -hmm. fancy looking attention getting stunts or, 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 or jumps or whatever you would call them. They can do that before they're actually balanced and capable of carrying a rider or something like that. And so it's, it can even be deceiving. Like yes. We think we've got it together. We yes. feel pretty good about it because look what I can do, but that isn't always telling of what's really happening yeah. in the spiritual stability or strength of our, of our hearts. Right. Right. And it, how many times in my lifetime I've looked at another woman yes. and have thought, oh my word, I'll never be as holy as her. Right. We totally do that. Right. Because at the, you know, all, all these years where I thought I knew what a good rider looked like and how a good horse functioned. And I realized I didn't, I didn't even know what I was looking at. I was so uninformed that you can't see what you don't know that you're looking for. And I think that's part of the beauty of spiritual maturity is that you start to, to see your own depravity at a deeper level and you, you come into an awareness of your own brokenness and you begin to say, oh, my Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for making you less. I'm thinking that you're only just a good God, not a, you know, good enough for me. Like, and, and if you don't stay in the training, right, in community, you're, you're really sabotaging your growth, I think. Well, and, you know, I was so that verse in Hebrews that says why, you know, it says exhort one another daily so that you don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And uh, I actually even just heard a quote this morning from J.D. Greer, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was something about um, the war that we wage every day against sin. And we are either winning the war because we are resisting sin or we are losing the war because sin is, um, sin is taking, taking, chipping away yeah. at, at our hearts or, or at our flesh. And I just think sometimes we, we don't treat it that seriously. And so here you are again with the war imagery yeah. and if the Proverbs 31 woman, we look at her like a warrior, mm. a warrior, uh, fights a war. Right. And, you know, that you go to the, the reference in second Timothy and, and about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And it talks about how soldiers don't get entangled in civilian affairs, but we live civilian lives. And so we have to acknowledge that there's a war and we have to really, I think, acknowledge what's at stake, yes. what's at stake if we don't exhort one another daily. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because we're talking about 
both what we will receive from community, but what we will also give to another woman when we say, let me find someone today to encourage, Mm -hmm. to strongly encourage, to check on, to say, how are you? To open a door of communication or community. And, and, And so we also have something to give in community that if we don't actively engage it, uh, someone else may suffer yeah. from the deceitfulness of sin. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. So in that context, you, I, I'd asked you ahead of time, you know, it's a particular verse you wanted to share with us. And you brought us to Second Kings chapter 19 and Hezekiah's prayer. So kind of set that up and help us understand how is this connected to the Proverbs 31 woman and, and if it's even connected to what we're talking about right now. Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's a prayer and it it goes along with the spiritual training circle that we've talked about. So one of the points on that training circle that that we talk about in in the Bible study, she smiles without fear is community. Another one is prayer. And so the idea is, you know, the fear of the future and, and really how, how can we uh, like a process to become Mm -hmm. women who smile without fear. And so this, kind of step, if you will, will is that to smile without fear, I need to live faithful today. And, and that's where this spiritual training circle comes in. And a part of living faithful today is engaging in community. And then prayer is another piece of that. And so what I love about Hezekiah's prayer is just kind of a pattern that we see in his prayer that is, as it makes so much sense, but do what I, what we see Hezekiah do in second Kings 19. So what has, what's going on in second Kings 19 is that it's, it's really, it's a, it's a very um, dangerous situation for Hezekiah and his nation. Uh, And it's, it's not seeming super hopeful. It's almost seeming hopeless. So the Assyrian Mm. army is kind of knocking on the door and the Assyrian army has already, I mean, just before you get to these verses in second Kings 19, we're talking about verses 14 through 17, just before this, um, the Assyrian, uh, army just kind of lists all of the other nations and Kings that they have completely destroyed. And they also had quite the reputation of their brutality. So it's not like this is, it's either going to go well, or it's going to go very, very bad. There's no real in-between here. And so just reading it, if you imagine yourself Mm -hmm. in that position, it's extreme, it's scary. I mean, there's plenty to be afraid of. And his response, King Hezekiah's response was so striking to me because the first thing he did was was draw near to God, which Mm -hmm. uh, I think we would know, oh, sure, but we don't always do. But then when he prayed, um, in verse, let's see, it's second Kings 19 in verse 15. I just want to read how he started his prayer. And he says, yeah. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. That's where he starts. Yeah. And so I just think about when I approach situations and, and I'm not sure that I've been in any kind of situation in my life that would come close to where Hezekiah was. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we can encounter uh, circumstances that, that feel very dire. And, and I'm sure some of our listeners have encountered 
they don't just feel dire. They are, they are mm-hmm. dire circumstances. And I know my natural bent is not when I go to God in prayer, it's not to start with praising the Lord. It's, Oh my goodness, God, this is happening. What are we going to do? La, 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 la. You know, it's kind of yeah. frantic. It's kind of, that's just, I go straight to the circumstance. I start to pour out. I'm afraid of this and I'm nervous about this. And what about this? What if this? And that's where I begin my prayers. Now, the Bible tells us to, to bring our requests to God. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us to cast our cares on him. So that is not a problem. But what we see right here, because Hezekiah does that. If you keep reading, he does that. He's like, hey, this is, this is happening. This is not good. Yeah. But the fact that he begins with what is true about God and mm. praising him, I think that that is a, can be revolutionary in our prayer mm-hmm. lives. Because mm-hmm. what I have found is that when I will start, no matter what, when I will start with praise, and this is also how Jesus, when his disciples yeah. said, teach us to pray, he started with our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yep. So if we will start with praising God, then when we get to the circumstances, when we get to the bringing our request and casting our cares, we've almost created a filter that we can now filter what we, our perspective on our circumstances through yep. what is true about God, yep. through mm-hmm. what we know about our God. Yep. And when we don't start with praise, if we start with our circumstances, I'm going to say what I have found that happens in my life is I can begin to filter what I think is true about God through what I see happening in my circumstances, which Mm -hmm. is not true at all. But that's when we somehow think maybe God isn't as much in control or he isn't as limitless as he is when we allow our eyes to remain fixed on the circumstances. And then we consider God Mm -hmm. instead of flipping it and starting with what is true about God and starting with praising him and starting with dwelling on his goodness and his love and his faithfulness. And then we can see our circumstances through a little bit of a different lens because yeah. we start there. And that's the example Hezekiah does give, he gives us. And then, I mean, he goes on and he does, he, he says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, mm-hmm. you know, so he brings his request and he, and he, he brings his circumstances to the Lord. But then, you know, the last in verse 19, he does one more thing that I think if we consider prayer as, as a point on this spiritual training circle, as we, as we approach each day as, as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, he, in verse 19, he says, so now, O Lord, our God, save us, please from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And I think that what he, what he does is he ends with expecting the result to lie fully on the soldiers of God, mm-hmm. shoulders of God. So I, again, it seems so simple, but I know that I pray I cast and my cares on God. I re- present my request to him. And then I get up and figure out how I'm going to fix all of this. Oh, yes. And so f- the, for Hezekiah to begin with praise and to end 
with pushing that burden fully on the capable shoulders of God, relying on God for the outcome, Mm -hmm. not, okay, what do you want me to do now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even just to verbalize it, even just to say, God, I, I know that my tendency is to try to figure out how I am going to fix this, that I want to rely on you. I want to fully rely on you. And I know that I can trust you when I fully rely on you. So I just love this kind of pattern that Hezekiah shows us and how we can apply that in small, but, but really powerful ways. Yeah. It's beautiful. And in that, you know, I was reading along and I'm looking at the NLT and the translation's a little bit different. Here's what jumped out at me between the God who you are and God, this is on you uh, is such honesty Mm. from Hezekiah. So, you know, it says, bend down, open your eyes and listen. (laughs) So Hezekiah is telling God, bend down, God, open your eyes, God, and listen. And I just picture this honest relationship back to community, back to relationship. Like this is a, this is not, oh God, you're awesome. And I trust you, but I'm not going to talk to you about what I'm feeling or seeing. I'm going to say, do you see this too? Mm -hmm. Do you feel this? Are you watching this? Because I just want to, you know, have this honest conversation with you, Lord. And at the end, I trust you. Yeah. On you. Yeah. I think that that is, and you know, you, when we want to talk about community with one another, we're never going to have successful community with one another until we have honest community with God. Yeah. And so I think when we talk about community with one another, there's obviously going to be trust issues and barriers and Mm. that's what makes it difficult. I mean, you may have been harmed or, or hurt or betrayed um, by somebody who you believed to be a brother and sister in Christ. And so now you're like, ah, never mind. I don't need all of that. But until we can fully trust God, we'll never be able to trust one another. And I say that we, we live in the flesh. Yeah. So our trust and our faith is not going to be perfect, No. but it does begin there. And even if we're having difficulty in community with one another, that's something we can be honest with God about. Yeah. And so, you know, there's no games there. He knows. He, I know. he does know and he does see. So we may as well be, yeah. we may as well be completely honest and real with how we're feeling or, or what's happening on the inside because he knows it already. We don't mm. have to try to hide that from God. And our actions give it away. I mean, in the last 24 hours, uh, between a conversation with my youngest, my oldest, and two clients, just in the last 24 hours, uh, at the heart of it, is the, the wanting to make the right decision, not wanting to screw up, not wanting to be rejected, not wanting to experience loss or hurt or suffering, not wanting to get, you know, did I say get in trouble? Like, like the, the, um, and, and none of those, like, how do I say this? None of those beliefs are what come out of the lip. What comes out is you can't do this. Why are they doing that? This shouldn't happen. That's wrong. If you only, because at at the heart of it is a desire to control what's going on around us that makes us feel afraid. 
And, and my challenge that came out of my mouth to my daughter last night, I'm like, is God big enough to handle your worst nightmare? And I mean, how do you answer that? She cried. Yeah. She cried. It it, it is. That's what we do. We, we, we try to guard against these worst case scenarios. Right. And she said to me, she goes, sometimes mommy, I just don't even know why I don't trust God, but I don't trust God. And I said, and that's how you live your life. Mm -hmm. Right. She, and she's a precious young in the, and you know, young woman who has been through hard things, but it, it just, I looked at her and I thought, this is just our human condition, right? It's our human condition. It's a byproduct of the culture we live in. It's a side effect of how we've been raised and the examples that have been set, you know, before us. I'm not a perfect mom. I've screwed up a gazillion times with my kids, right? And so like, I, I have demonstrated fear and controlling issues and not trusting God. And so how much of it is, is learned, how much of it is her personality, but it's just interesting to me that in the last 24 hours from, you know, 15 to 65, a common thread of is God trustworthy. And if I believe he's trustworthy, how does that change how I live? If I don't believe he's trustworthy, what am I putting on my shoulders as opposed to Hezekiah here saying at the end now, Oh Lord, our God rescue me from this evil. Mm -hmm. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, Oh Lord, our God. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you just described it so, so beautifully. And I do, I think everything that we've talked about is, you know, you, even when we talk about passing it on, that's so real. We can yeah. pass on fear, whether it's to um, the kids that we're raising or whether it's to the friends that we're around. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you think of it in light of this spiritual training circle yeah. and the prayer and the community, see, we can pass on those things too. Yeah. And I, I will tell you a, a part of not a part, all of what I wrote in the Bible study, she smiles without fear comes from personal experience. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I can tell you the day. And I write about this in the introduction that I, the day I was standing in my yard, it was a beautiful day. My kids were having a big time at running down the slip and slide or, or, you know, sliding down the slip and slide. And it was just a beautiful day. And I was almost in tears in the yard because of how afraid I was for events that had not happened but I could see potentially playing out in my mind. And I was, I was realizing everything I was losing. I was yeah. losing the gift of the present. Oh yes. I was losing joy and purpose of the present yeah. because I was so afraid of what might happen in the future. It's not a nod to not being prepared. It's not a nod to sticking your head in the sand and ignoring what's it's none of that. But it was a state where I found myself so afraid of the future that I couldn't even invest and engage in the present, in the life that was happening right in front of me. Yeah. And I decided on that day that I didn't want to live like that anymore. Yep. Been and there. You know, one of the things that I say is what I came to realize is that I can't change the future, but the fear of the future can change me. Mm. And, uh, and so we can pass that on. Yeah. We can absolutely pass that on. Or we can replace, it's not that we'll never fear the future. And I write about this in the Bible study too. 
I don't believe that it's said of the Proverbs 31 woman, she smiles without fear because she never fears the future. I think it's an, it's knowing where to turn when we do. Yeah. It's no, Hezekiah did it. Yep. Yep. You can't tell me he wasn't afraid if he was human. I think any human is afraid in that given circumstance, but where did he turn? Yeah. And so it's just knowing where to turn when we, when we do fear the, and then choosing and yeah. we can pass that on. And I think that's exciting to know yeah. that. I mean, my children fear the future. We've talked about it before. We've had conversations about, you know, maybe you fear the, the weather report of the, of the tornado that may come through overnight or there, it may not be the, at the same way we do, but they are, there are things that they yeah. will be afraid of. And when they face those fears, we have something to offer them. We can yeah. teach them to pray. We can, we can uh, draw them into community and show them how we build one another up and how we yeah. encourage each other daily. And so I think it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, a, a beautiful alternate to pass- passing on kind of the plan or the process to live each day faithfully. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is interestingly, that is what happened last night. So as my daughter was expressing the things that she was afraid of and trying to control me to, to minimize the fear situation, I I was responding back to her. I'm like, I'm not living in fear anymore. I've done that sweetheart, but I'm not, you can't control me in this. Like, and you know, it was a complex situation. My husband said, wait a minute, tell her what you do in the face of fear. I know. And I was like, oh, (laughs) and he's like, because you come from a legacy of fear, Lisa, and I've watched you overcome your fear. What are you doing that you need to model for her right now? Caitlin, listen to your mom. (laughs) And I was like, go dad, you know? And in that moment, I was like, it it is this Hezekiah prayer. Honestly, every time that fear of harm comes my way, whether it's to me or to somebody I love, it's like, God, you are bigger. You are more than sufficient to carry me through the worst situation. It is not a, I give this to God and, you know, take care of the rest. That's not going to work. It's not, I give this to God and I've been so good. He's going to bless me without the suffering. It's, I give this to God. And if this turns out really bad and I've you know, like you said, I still need to be wise, but if this turns out bad, God, are you, are you going to be there for me? You are, you will carry me through. And if we need reassurance of that, it's in the Bible. Exactly. Shown us that in the old Testament and the way that he provided for his people and the way he continues to, and really we need to look no further than the cross. I mean, Jesus, he sacrificed everything. Yeah for the sake of our eternal safety. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, we probably should wrap up because this is a long episode. I can tell already. Uh, So if you all hung out with us until the end, I hope you've been blessed. And uh, Katie, will you let everybody know where they can find you and your Bible study? Yes. So katiemccown.com is my website. That's K-A-T-Y-M-C-C-O-W-N. Com, and you can access all of the great stuff there, the Bible study, uh, the podcast, the conference that we do. It's all there. And I would love to connect. There's also a free resource that you can download, Seven Prayers to Help You Smile Without Fear. 
That is awesome. Would you be willing to close us in prayer? Absolutely. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the life that is in your word. I thank you that you have answers uh, that, that we can only find in your word. And I thank you so much for just the life-giving conversation you've allowed Lisa and I to have today. And I pray for the women who are listening, Lord. I know that you see each one of them and you know each unique situation that they find themselves in. And I pray, Lord, um, that your Holy Spirit will lead and guide each woman in the next step that you have for her. I pray that if there's hesitation to trust, that she'll just take the next step and not look all the way into the future, but just trust you today and, and live faithfully to what you call her to do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Katie, for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the More to Be podcast. I pray you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during your time with us. If you're ready to take the next step in aligning your life with God's best, but not sure what that looks like, head over to moretobe.com slash align to take our quiz and find out. You can also join the sisterhood at moretobe.com slash podcast and get access to our library of Bible study content and biblically-based coaching resources. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.